Welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom podcast. This is episode number 276. My name is Carlos Alvarez and I'll be your host for the show. On today's episode, we have Nick Shackelford, a partner in constantcreative.com, structured.agency, geekoutevents.io, and wherelucid.com. I'm hoping I pronounced that last one right. Uh, he is also the angel investor and advisor to motionapp.com, northbeam.io, triplewhale.com, market hire, and several other well-known marketing-related businesses. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much. When you were listing that off, I was like, man, I probably should just double down and focus on a couple of things. seems like there's a lot of, lot of things going on in my life right now. <laughs> you know, I feel like after saying that, we could just wrap the show up. Like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to unpack there. And I will say, at least I'm doing my best to kind of keep it congruent in the, in the space in which I, I, I truly love, which is eco. I love this stuff. Absolutely. Uh, a question I wasn't even thinking about asking, but since you you mentioned that is I recently heard an episode, don't remember who said it, but I, I have I have over like 50 different businesses that obviously I'm not involved in, you know, every single day. But yeah. somebody said that you would think you would just divide your time by the 50 and that's how much you work on each. But in reality, you spend 100% on the time on the one having the most problems, which is sometimes the one that brings the least money. How, how do you combat that? Uh, it's very well said, and it's actually something that I'm trying to figure out now. So let's start with structured. If I look at the pie that I'm effectively putting time into, uh, structured, geek out, which it had to rebrand, so it's technically geek X, but that's kind of a newer thing. And then you have constant. And then outside of that, you have the layer of that is the, the personal brand that we always have to consistently be building to make sure that all of those other things power itself. I actually stepped out as a CEO of Structured back in March and April for that specific reason, because I felt that I wasn't effective to go down all the other things of like, is it my ego? Is it, is it the right thing for the business? Is it not the right thing for the business? Um, effectively, we I, I sat there and I'll go, I don't think I'm the best person to take us to where we currently are, which was, that was just about crossing that that eight-figure agency mark on and people business is very interesting. And then you go into the next fed, which is multi-eight-figure or or above that. And I looked at myself and I was like, I don't think I'm the most effective here. Where can I be effective? Which is essentially where I'm sitting at right now in, in that CRO chief just revenue partnerships experience. Because when you realize what your true skill is that nobody else can do, you have to sit there. And if you can't stay there because the business might need like you mentioned, the fires that are always burning in every one of these things, you have to find the team that can kind of support you as you go address that fire so everything else doesn't burn down. Do you feel like every business is different or do you feel like there's a threshold? Like once the business hits X or this amount of employees, I stop being the most effective CEO for the role and I should, you know, embrace another superpower. I think it, it depends on what you know makes you happy or not happy. For instance, if, if, this stage of the business, because we're all digital, because whether it's e-com, whether it's FBA, whether it's agency, it's still people and process heavy. No, I think the other ones are less people than an, uh, a, a human capital intensive business like an agency where time is the, it's being sold. Um, I start realizing, is this, is this what I should be doing? Not necessarily, am I the best at doing it? And I, and I asked myself at that time, I was like, this, this isn't what I should be doing because I don't feel I'm the most effective. And that, that to me was a really big eye-opener of like, where, where should I be and where should I put the time and effort into? And it, you have to be a little bit selfish around this because now, I think even a little bit before the pandemic, but definitely now after the pandemic, the blurriness of our online world to our work world, to our personal lives, it's kind of just, to get, it's just all in one and you gotta be, for instance, we'll start the day, you do your work and you kind of go deal with the dogs, the kids, the wife, and then you kind of go back to work. You kind of just kind of repeat that cycle a little bit. How did you know my morning? <laughs> it's you know, very similar. I mean, people producing, it's very similar. Yeah, it, it, I go to a lot of events and conferences and people will ask me like, what's the biggest thing you're working on right now? And it's like how to not take my foot off the gas in business while also be a rock star dad to my three and five-year-old yeah. and like world's best husband. And Man. I don't think I'm doing a good job, but I have an amazingly patient and beautiful wife. So that's putting up with me for now. So that's the process. Uh, you're dude, you are preaching the choir. I'm I've been with my missus for 14 years and I'm getting married in four months. Congrats, so man. she's, thank you very, very much. She's seen this progress and, and look, you, you, you kind of get it. Like you, you know, they know, that this is how we're wired. Like, this is what it is. 
until we hit that goal, until we hit the thing that we say that we're going to get to and stop, I use these air quotes, stop. They know that this is what I signed up for. And, and I, and I used to feel some type of way about this. And I bet there's other entrepreneurs out there going, you do everything you do, especially us as knowledge workers. We're just here at this, at this, at our cockpit for most of the day. And we realize we're trying to produce so that the family can have the best life or, or opportunity before it, you'd have to leave the house or you'd have to go work in the fields or, or do something manual. Now we kind of just kind of click in, log in and, and create. So it's been a love hate relationship for sure. Kudos, man. Um, congrats again about the marriage and sharing all that. I know a lot of, a lot of times on the podcast, everyone just talks about the pluses and not the the madness that goes on behind the scenes and some of the, the reflections that we have to take. So I really appreciate the share there. Um, no worries, bro. I, I've consumed almost every podcast. Like if I see your name and I'm just going, oh, I'm listening to that. I know that's good. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a long drive and I've listened to it. And, and you have something I told myself early, like when I'm trying to become a better podcast host was I'm going to stop getting on the show and say, Hey, can you, can you tell me where you got started and how was your origin story? Like that really didn't sit good with me, but you have a killer origin story. Like I, I, I loved it. Um, you're also, I see a lot of, you know, Facebook media buying specialist guru and like a lot of those powerful worlds. So your origin story seems to have zero to do with being a Facebook media buying specialist or, or even a marketing thought leader that you are yet you are those things. What were can you share? I know this full confession, but what were you doing before marketing? And when did you, uh, when did you know marketing was your superpower? Do you are first off? Thank you. It's, it's really interesting how people take, take compliments like this, or even just someone other, someone else interested in, a, in their life, because we, as on online creators are like, do people really even listen or care? And we hope like we want them to be consuming. I mean, you're, over 200 episodes in and you're it's clearly working right there's people showing up so i i thank you so where this began i'm in deep reflection on this too because as i prep a brand new presentation we have affiliate world in dubai um and that talk they've actually asked me they're opening a kind of a brand new track of where you began and and what it's done to get to this point so i'll even go back before that then i'll kind of catch you up to the most recent years but I, brother before this the only thing that i truly cared about was soccer and kicking a soccer ball. And look, I am, and I, and I should have met the, and realized this sooner, but you call it ego, call it ambition, call it whatever you want, but I'm, I'm six foot in the morning and I, I'm, I'm like, I got to fill my shoes to be a little bit taller than this. And I was a goalkeeper. So I, I sit here and I go, man, if I was an inch taller, I tell my mom and dad this all the time. I was like, guys, if you gave me a little bit more, I probably could still be playing. I'm 32. I still got some legs in me. Right. And and I, I took that all, I took it as far as it could have gone. And, and I think as athletes or people that are in high production professional role, or even just high level uh, sports role, you have to look at that sport as a vehicle. And I, even when I was coaching my kids, I tell them this I was like, look, this is a vehicle. This is a car that eventually you're going to have to get out. You're going to have to park it. And you're going to have to go into the next car, or you're going to go, you have to exit that. And I think at the time when I, I reached the goal of mine, which was, I wanted to play for the LA galaxy in my hometown, I'm an Orange County LA kid. And I wanted to get there. And I wanted to be respected. I wanted to play. And at that time, when the Beckhams and the Stephen Gerrards and the, the team was developing, I got to that place. And I remember, and I, I, I shared this recently on, on the Facebooks, and it was my head coach, Kurt Rinalfo. He goes, and this is what the second team he goes, Shaq. Uh, and this is where that, that sticks with. So he goes, Shaq, you know, dude, you're a really good locker room guy. And at the time, I was like, at the time I was very bitter. I was like, what does this mean? And, and I, now in reflection and thinking about this over, it essentially is you have great, you bring great energy and you're a great teammate to be around. But that does that. He didn't say, Nick, you're a starter. Nick, you're my guy. He just said you're, you contribute. And so that that's what realized and pushed me to the path of I'm good at being a part of a team. I'm good at building team. I'm good at being a contributor to a team and a captain at times. But if I'm not the starter here, I need to go be starter in the other in another arena, which led me to digital, which led me to where we are almost today. And there's a gap between the two, but I'll I'll pause on that one. That is wild. I I, I got a lot of stuff. First of all, while that must have hurt, do you think that's probably the best advice you were given to date? Like, imagine if he did not tell you that. Too, I think I think about this more than I I probably should. Um, cause it's not, it's not, it's not good to always live in reflection, but I think when you have monumental moments where your life shifts and changes, I think it's important. So 
when he told me this, I, up until this point, the only value I had to give the world is I'm a soccer player and I kick a soccer ball or I catch a ball and I train kids that, that like, which is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can't tie that directly to making X dollars that would break my family's financial lineage of, of actual uh, middle-class or lower-class. Like I wasn't, I was destined to be in this 30 to 40 to 50 to $60,000 maximum California salary range, even as an athlete at that level. And so I, I looked at that. I was like, this is the chance to rebuild or be a different professional in a different space. And I got a buddy out in LA and we talk sometimes he's in a real estate and we talk about like the cost of living and stuff out there, man, 30 to $40,000. You might not even be in LA anymore. No way. No, no, not, a, not a chance. There's no, and if you're in LA, you're in a, you're in a non-desirable place. You're in a place where you're like, I got to lock all five of my doors. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so you just, you just had your dreams crushed by this person. It pretty much put you in the friend zone yeah. almost in like the relationship equivalent. And you talking to you now, I know you picked yourself up um, in a very big way. What, what did you, what did you first do to start transitioning out of that well the only thing at that point i knew i you need cash so for one you have to kind of protect you have to kind of protect the production i got very fortunate because at the time i came back from missouri so i was at st louis university and i came back and i was able to live in and at a my at the time girlfriend now fiance's house with her mom and so I was able to live at that house. I was driving, commuting back and back and forth to Carson, which is where the, the uh, at the time Home Depot Center, StubUp Center was. And I was in that commute and I was, I'd go to work and I'd come back and I coach my kids because that's where the, that's where my cash and my pay was. Well, when you, you're essentially as a pro, you're working for a couple hours, then you're working on your body and you can do whatever you really want. If you want at the time I knew I didn't have enough cash. So I had to go coach. That gave me this perfect segue of in our in our area in Orange County, there's so many different counties around us, and there's a, a decent amount of corporate offices in Irvine and Lake Forest. And I got I got very lucky. Specifically, there was a woman named Rachel Puepke. Her daughter was Ava, one of my private private goalkeeping training. And Rachel at the time was the CMO or like the equivalent to PepsiCo products, and the, it just started coming up marketing conversation. I'm, I'm 32. I'm so I'm a nineties kid, right? I'm a, I'm a millennial truly. And when I sit there, I remember she was talking on a call as she was going to give me her, her $50 check for training Ava for an hour. And I was like overheard and I, and me not afraid to ask questions or, or start up conversation. I heard that she was in the middle of a pitch for a, a marketing campaign, a promotion, which if anybody knows corporate Pepsi, they know that they do. At, there's two different sides. You have the syrup side, which is the stuff that comes out of, you know, the fountain drinks, right? It's, it, you have to fill the syrup and, or it's the bottle side. Well, the syrup side partners with restaurants and they do collaborations of going like, you buy a hot dog, you get a Pepsi, or you buy a burger, you get a Pepsi. And at the time it was BJ's and Wahoo's was their large West Coast accounts. And so I heard her talking about a marketing scheme, brought up, hey, like they should do a quote unquote Facebook activation group because it's healthy eating. And Pepsi was trying to push a new product. And she was like, this is interesting. Do you like this stuff? And I was like, of course I like this stuff. This is, this is what I would love to do. And with that introduction, with that conversation, I go, I got to chase this down. That is wild. Uh, you think, thinking of the Pepsi stuff, did you see, I think there's like a documentary or something. I don't know if it's recent, but I just saw it. And it was like something that Pepsi had a long time ago where they were like breaking on the scene and they offered these rewards for like Pepsi points. And this one person tried to redeem them for a fighter jet. Did you ever see that? An airplane, yeah. That is nuts. I but think that, it, that... I think it actually was um it's either Pepsi or Coke. It's one of the major players, though, but it turned into a massive lawsuit. And it was, it might have been out of the Philippines, I think. Yeah, the no, they also had some issues in the Philippines. Yeah, no, no, but it's good. Okay. <laughs> so that's that that's really wild that you had the stones to to even just insert yourself in the conversation and ask and say, yeah, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. So did you know that's what you wanted to do at that point? Cause you had just been told you're not going to be a starter. I mean, I mean, in reflection, I want to look, I want to sit here February 16th or I want to sit here as a, as a, as a quote unquote wiser man and say like, yeah, absolutely. I knew what I was getting into. I needed money, dude. I need, I need, I knew I needed because you, if you, if you're, if you're in this space, like, and, and everybody knows, this, if you're whether you're in Amazon, whether you're in direct to consumer, whether you're on, you can't make enough 
to just sell your time. It can't just be your time. Like if you, you're going to be capped at a certain point, my sister's a dentist, her family's a dentist. And I'm like, she's going to do great because her rate to time is going to be incredible, but still, it's still limited. And so I'd had a little bit of an inclination because at the time, and you can kind of see behind me, I, we were selling goalkeeping gloves. And that was my first touch. And it's called Keep Air. It was my first touch of like, wow, I, I saw that glove get sold on Shopify. That was a dollar. I just talked about it. So I knew that there was people making money without having to like sell thing or without having to like sell your time. And so I was aware of this, but I didn't know what it would lead, what marketing or what advertising would lead itself into, let alone did I have an understanding of what direct-to-consumer online sales were at this point. So, so your, your first platform that you sold on was Shopify then with, with the glove? Absolutely. It was yeah. actually... Um, you still have the glove going? Yeah, I do. It's actually right above me on the left side. So it's, it's a, it was a nice, and it was a great guy. His name was Dennis Ayer. So the goalkeeping brand was called Keep Air. And he was a, a guy out of Vancouver who worked in the mattress, mattress industry. So when you talk about someone that really knows cushion, right? When the gloves are all cushion, it's pretty crazy. And I have my Shackleford uh, gloves in the top left corner. So it's pretty cool. I'll, I'll pull it out before we leave. So does this, does this translate into more money for you working with this person in, in some capacity? It translated into contract work on a marketing scheme, which was the first unlock because now I'm getting paid for thinking, not getting paid for physical labor, which is what goalkeeping coaching was. So it, it, it was, it was, I would say it was a gateway drug to understanding that I had a value that wasn't solely based upon me kicking the block. And and this took the form of, here's this idea I have. What do you think about it? And you're kind of green lighting it or, or, or stopping it in tracks? Yes. So when this specifically happened, it was two projects, Wahoo's and BJ's restaurants. And this, this was conversations inside. This was conversations inside the PepsiCo area where you're talking client. So we're on Pepsi side. And so at this time, when you have big agency work, it's like Pepsi, they contract a creative team or they contract an activation team. And you have client, which is whoever their, the restaurant is. I was basically, and I called myself a millennial consultant. I actually found the deck a long time ago. I was like, man, I made ugly decks back in the day. But I was, they were like, hey, this would be a cool idea to activate. But you had 40, 50, sometimes 50 plus year old men and women going like, that seems like a great idea. And I'm sitting there going, you know, like, is it a good idea? That was a gut check, dude. That's intimidating. 40, 50 years, they're probably like entire career in the space and you're, oh, yeah. you're questioning them. Oh, well, it, it, you have to do it with, with tact, right? It's not because they're at the end of the day, they, they need to be positioned. And this is where I think I excelled in the client services or I excelled in communication. I, I truly believe that a lot of this is it's performance and it's communication, performance and, and relationship. This EQ-ness that I had for a very long time, I've, I've always knew that there was a personal ability and I needed to lean into this because most people didn't think that communication was like a, a, a payable skill, which this is all we do. Like if you have to master this to have any sort of team or building. And I knew that as a locker room kid, building relation, building teams, I knew how to play the sport. And that's, business is a sport. Oh, heck yeah. So, so now you're, you're, you're coaching and you're getting paid to, to, to basically deliver strategy and ideas uh, to this person and, and hence PepsiCo, like thing that some people would never experience in their entire life. And you're doing this almost from the beginning, like you're playing in that, <laughs> in that circle. Oh, no, no. Dude, I, if, if I were to tell you that this, Carlos, the structure of wins that were strung together. I still, I even still believe I'm writing this right now because it was remember Rachel and Tony Huerta, uh, Rachel Pupke, Tony Huerta were the two people that were in charge of basically green lighting my billable. And it got to a point where like, okay, this kid's got great insights. How do we leverage him? Cause it made them smarter because they were able to speak a language that they didn't have. So they're like that, where's this been? Awesome. When you, when you are a and most freelancers will know this. If you are a freelancer or if you're based on contract work of the, of the things coming in, if you don't have experience of closing or pitching five, 10, 15, $20,000 that you know you have to consistently string together, you have to get consistent work. So that, that introduction performing for Rachel led me to her to working on a full-time team, which is now moving fully away from the soccer and getting an actual job job, which was the first time under Rachel's cousin, Alison Fuller on in LA working on behalf of Apple co, which was 
our job was under uh, media RSUP, so Mal, which is a resolution media, an Omnicom company division that only worked on activations for Apple. That's what that full-time job, that's what that production of the PepsiCo led itself into. God, are you just name dropping some like globally known? <laughs> just keep going, dude, it's wild. It's wild. What, when does this, so you're, you're still delivering strategy in the activation and you're at some point you position this into ads. Like what, what was your first experience with, with paid ads? The actual clicking of the buttons turned into the job that came at Apple. So it was the account, uh, what do they technically call it? So under resolution media, which was a digital group that focused on larger clients. So they had Warner brothers, they had Apple at this point, and they had a couple other, like the big name, big name agency job work, right? That's LA, that's agency stuff. Apple, the team that I was on was in charge at the time, the activation was the iPad Pro, the iWatch. And then we had a little bit of, um, we had trade-in. This is when like one of the big pushes from Tim Cook was like upgrade to trade-in. And so AT&T and Verizon participated in this early on. I think it was just AT&T. And that, that activation was much different under Alizon and, uh, uh, what else was his name? A couple of, there was a couple of the team. Tony, Tony's back at, Tony's back at, um, at PepsiCo, but sorry, Casey and Alizon were the two people that were my, my bosses in my group, my pod. And this was uploading budgets into Facebook, but this is, this is different. This is the second frame break that I had because now at the time when Facebook was in the primitive stages, there was a tool called the reach and frequency tool where you were, you basically would say in our, our, we had uh, North and South America, uh, North and South America. And we had a little bit of uh, APAC. So we had these general regions. And when we were asking budget or when we would go to request budget, this is how we did it back then. It was so, so wild at the time. And mind you, I've never seen money. Like I haven't seen money. Like the largest check I got was back at Pepsi. It was like $5,000, $6,000 project-based I'm sitting there and, and Alison's like, Hey, can you, can we, we need to set budgets. We got to get approval for clients so we can spend deliver, um, deliver these ads. And at the time, Apple's not driving, they're not driving revenue from, they don't do direct to consumer conversion. Like they only do awareness and they are chopping down their TV spots and throwing it into digital. That was the strategy. And we are the digital distribution of the TV spots. Well, they would tell us, Hey, we need to make sure we hit everybody in these regions. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, okay, that makes sense. So Allison, Allison and I are logging in using the reach and frequency tool. And I'm like, how many zeros can I put to make sure we hit every single person that Facebook allow me to do in North and South America? Zero, 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 zero. Put it on the spreadsheet, ask for approval, send it to client. That, that frame of putting zeros into a program that I was like, I'm never going to see this much money in my life. Blew me away. Do you, do you have like a ballpark? If you're allowed to say like, do you have oh a ballpark million, of what that? Millions, brother, millions. Like whatever Facebook would, would take from us, I would throw it on there. Because this is, this is talking about stupid budgets on a quarterly basis to distribute and sell iPhones, iWatches, and iPads. And at the time, who, who, who even now, like arguably, who could touch the advancement of what an iPhone was or an iWatch was or even an iPad Pro? So it didn't matter. You could, we would sell until we were blue in the face. So are, are you, are you building these ads as well? At this no, point? because we were chopping in, in Mal. So media arts, if, if people look this up, Mal is a, is a subdivision inside a Shiat day in Playa Vista, California. And it's his own super secret, bad scan in and all the things you can imagine Apple. Right. And we, we were in there and we would essentially get briefed from, Hey, this TV spot just went live or it's going to go live. Do not turn ads on until the set date and then let it run its budget. And then we turn off and then we do the report. So we didn't have to create anything. It was literally a distribution team that was able to provide strategic feedback on what we should do next, which it's Apple. Like everything they touched it was, was gold. And what, what was the, so you, wow. I'm trying to wrap my head around the, the amount of data that, it's, that, that, that you can get from that. Where do you, where do you go next? Well, this, this is interesting because when you, if anybody's been in a, a, a large digital team and been a very small piece of this, and it's kind of what happened with me in college. Like I was first school I went to was Berkeley. And although you're a part of a team and you are 
operating on the sports group, you're still a small, small individual contributor in a large, very large ecosystem that is their sports. So when I went to St. Louis, where soccer was the focal point, we were one of the highest contributors. We had all the fans. I was able to stand out and be that person. I liked that, right? I liked being well-known in a smaller, smaller arena. And when you go to an Omnicom or you go to Resolution, you're on a team. You might have a great client. You might get a little bit of like support and accolades, but you're still a very small contributor to this overall fact. And during this whole time, I was still, who's my partner today on almost everything I do, Jake Schmidt. He, he came up with the idea of like, hey, I'm trying to, he was selling and slinging soccer jerseys and this get got, this got caught in customs. And I was telling him like, look, dude, I, I don't want to really drive to LA anymore. I'm commuting from Orange County to, to LA every single day. That's 45 plus minutes. I'm in a Prius. Like it's not working for me here. Well, that led me to res- resigning. And I was like, I'm going to figure something else out. As, as those figuring this out, Jake goes, I think we could sell fidget spinners online. I think this is something that we can make a lot of money with. And I was like, awesome. What the fidget spinner? And what year, hold on. This, what year? What year? The year? What year are we talking about here? With uh, I would say it's 2017 with me. Oh God, you got in early. Dude, we were, brother, we were the biggest and baddest on the stuff. I'm just going to make sure I fact check that myself is, on this so I don't misspeak. Well, while, while, while you're looking that up, the so you pretty much got paid to get like a doctorate in, 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 in marketing almost, it seems like, uh, based on this experience in that short time. So when you're leaving, you're not, you got some powerful weapons in your arsenal. 2017. Exactly. Cause I left in 2016, this popped off in 2017 and the different, this is the, the, I think everything when I'm in, in reflection on is now with you, there's a lot of frame frame breaks that consistently have been happening. And I think that's like the the biggest, I think that's the biggest lesson that I can give someone is how often can you break your expectations of what is possible? And I think that's happened to me very strategically through one year, two year, three year, three year uh, segments. And this was the next frame break because I was familiar with, okay, this tool, Facebook of distribution is working. We're early on it. Yeah, we weren't seeing outcome or revenue coming back in this. And then when you come into the fidget spinner space, which if, if you look at what happened at this time and when this went live, why it was so effective is because it had a lot of the, the a lot of the makeups of, of many viral products that I sold after this or many viral products that kind of hit the internet or, or the arbitrage tool that it was Facebook back in 2016, 17 and 18. You could build a business off of the back of these platforms, off of Amazon, off of Facebook, off of Google, when it was very arbitrage-like cost of traffic, cost of conversion, cost of product, make sure I make a margin and I can make some money. Very simplistic way of structuring this. When you have a, a, a viral product that is visually appealing and interesting at a price point that someone doesn't need to justify or get approval on, the, the ability for it to scale is as, as fast as you can get a hold of product. And that was, that was the strategy. The strategy was not... We were selling plastic and I even have one today. Like I, I have a different one now. So it's more of a slider thing, which I digress, but. Do you use them? All day. This is sits all in my day. hand all day, all day, all day. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop it. And here's why. And this is what, this is where we started learning, learning from this. Even when you look at some of the earliest ads, the fidget spinner, what it did was there's a lot of different, we have a lot of different learning, right? I was an ADD kid, ADHD kid. I was on uh, Adderall Concerta. Um, Ritalin, I had all these things, right? I felt that that was the thing that I needed to put my nervous energy as a, as a knee tapper, as a, as a fidgety kid. I thought that's what would structure it. I thought that would help me. There's, there's just learnings that if you have a lot of this nervous energy, this kinetic, or this kin, uh, kinetic learning where you're touching and feeling and, and playing with these tools actually assists in your ability to focus a little bit harder. And so what we did not anticipate and did not know the need for this was actually in the special needs realm. The need for this was actually in these, this hard to learn, hard to focus world where you're able to play with these toys. And that's what it was framed as. People started getting these secondary and tertiary learnings, which then led us into, okay, that's one area. That's a quote-unquote angle or a selling proposition. How do, we, how do we get more angles like this? So, so you got in early on this and the price was also high. I, I, you know, 
if I could get in a time machine and go back, I still would not have been convinced to do the fidget spinner. I would have looked at this thing and been like, what? Um, it, went at, but, it went as fast as it died as fast. So it was, and here's, so you have to kind of know when, back to the car analogy, when, when should you exit this car? That was another very well-timed exit and taking the skills of leveling up when I went into just pure direct-to-consumer, pure performance marketing. So you started... You started an e-commerce business with the fidget spinner, sold on Shopify, arbitraged Facebook ads uh, to turn a profit. You eventually stop it. Did you did you create an agency and that ran your ads for your company, or you just you just did it all within? We so Jake stayed on because when we when we we made some poor premature business decisions that doesn't it's not necessary to go into that here because of. It, it was illogical to partner with someone that we probably could have done that stuff ourselves, And we ended up losing majority of control of the direction of where Fidgetly was going yet probably was for the better because that was a very fast lived uh, product. So we, Jake stayed on same product that got him from Missouri to LA. And I went in because I, I wanted to prove that I was able to continue to do this on some sort of consistent or predictable basis. Silly me to believe that you, if you use an algorithm or a platform, there's any consistency around this. That's never, it's not a thing. You can never replicate something multiple times unless it's a, it depends on the core product. If the product is what's going to work. And so I went and joined the biggest and the best in the space at the time, which was Tim Bird, Agency Y. And I was, I was learning. I, I knew I needed to verify that I could do what I do on a consistent basis or somewhat consistent basis. And I need to, to get around other people because you needed to learn and I, and got to consistently get paid because at the time we made, we made great money, but man, I was still so young. It was the first real job outside of the agency work. That's, that's some pretty powerful stuff there. So like uh, I, speaking from experience, uh, different scenarios, obviously, but I get my first taste of money. And then there was this, like, at the time I was almost proud to have this like unhirable shirt, like you know, I, I'm just, I run, once you get that taste of running your own business and, and curious, you, you're like, I'm going to get more knowledge on this. And you, you joined some amazing companies and got paid to learn. So you, you didn't, yes. you didn't jump into your savings and wipe it out on courses. You're like, no, nah, I'm going to reverse this. Like they're going to pay me and I'm going to learn a ton from some of the brightest. Like why, why was there a thought of, let me just do this myself again? It, it might've been, it might've been because I stayed with, I stayed with this realm until I started my own things. I'm fairly new to entrepreneurship. I didn't, that wasn't a goal of mine that was foreign to me. I wasn't reading books. I wasn't, I wasn't educated enough to know that this is real. I was really risk adverse. Like I'm a dividend dude at, at heart. Right. So I didn't really necessarily want to be, be like, Oh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. That wasn't the goal. That never has been the goal. And even to, to, to share where we're at today, it's like when, I believe if you care about this space, you should go work for somebody. You should go work for somebody at least until you can feel if you should be able to do this better or not. And and I and again, the theme of me is I'm okay with not having to be the first person or the, the person in front. I'm I'm a great number two, I like to say. I enjoy being a number two. I know how to be a good locker room guy, right? And so if I can say to myself, there's a there's gonna be more at the end of this, or there's gonna be a a benefit down the line. I'll write it until I know that that, that it's time for me to move on. I don't know if this is going to be too, uh, if you're able to answer this, but of the companies that you have, which one are you most passionate about? Oof. Two, I would say equally. And here's why structured equally. I love structured, it. Drawn to <laughs> structured because, and it's, it's equally because it's very different, very, both of them are very different. Structured has been so synonymous with the very first entrepreneurial thing that I jumped into after I left and to see it at the size it's currently at and to see it at the impact that it's had for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, it's really hard not to be proud of that. Like that's, that's a real thing. There's real people, there's real mouths to feed and you have to be proud of that. That's the first one. Then you have Geek Axe, Geek Out, where it's an event in person. It's a sharing of knowledge. It's experiences that people can consistently have, whereas it's very different for a very, very real, completely different revenue sizes, completely different commitments to time, completely different partners on this. 
but they are both equally as important because it fulfills this like ability to have things in person and, it and fulfills this ability to have consistent learning and growth. That's wild. I, to I totally get it. Like I, I accidentally found myself in a, it's almost seven years ago, I started this meetup group and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just going to get together with some Amazon sellers. And yep. you know, seven years later, we're the largest one in the world, 20 in-person events per month, chapters in LA, San Diego, Tampa, yeah. Miami. So it, it's so different than any other business that I have that I could easily, it's, it's definitely not the one that brings the most money, but it's, no. it's, it's, it is where my, where my heart's at. So uh, that's, a, that's an awesome that's so answer. Cool. I can really relate to that. Well, and you, and you know this more than anything, like, and maybe you have had, there's, especially after the pandemic hit and the need to have this in-person thing, man, there's people that I go, dude, I've never met you, but I feel like we talk on a consistent basis. Then you get them and you just get that big old hug or, or honest or tears, like grown men and grown women. Just be like, if I didn't have X, Y, Z, or if I didn't meet so-and-so, it's, it's, in, it's so important and special in these experiences now more than ever, which you know. Yeah, I'm going to ask this more for just, you know, I respect your opinion on stuff. So like, it's almost like a validation I'm going to get here. So I get a lot of flack for the in-person events and it's like you, everything's going virtual. Like basically, why are you going backwards? And, and I, feel, I feel like, you know, virtual reality, things going virtual, Facebook groups, all those things are great, but I feel like it's creating a greater need for in-person and those hugs and everything that you just described. Would you agree with that? A whole, dude, I couldn't agree with this more. And, and as, I'm, I'm front and center on the stuff. So I'm on the partnership side, I'm on the content side, I'm on the planning side, and I'm on the hosting side. So as similar to you, like you're probably in partnership or sponsorship communication, selling tickets, talking to the, the guests. You're, I know you're eating it all like as I am. The, the ability to take that and it's funny because I just experienced a, a recent event called the Whaley's, which is a, an event from a SaaS company. They, you get in person and I was like observing people. And I, and I love this. Like if I had all the dollars in the world, I would do two things. I would ask people questions and I'd sit and observe people interact because you start seeing people don't know how to talk. They don't know where to move their hands. They don't know where to look. They don't know how to carry on the conversation. And it's so, that's what, that's kind of unfortunately what the pandemic did because you're so used to this. Yeah, I am, man. I couldn't agree more. I love the answer. Obviously super biased. We do a lot of <laughs> events. So, but, but I, but I love that. I mean, that might be the clip we use to promote this. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to switch gears on a few things. The, you studied, you studied journalism. Yes. Right. You're a marketer. You have experience in journalism, chat GPT. Are we going to put writers out of business or is all the writers and content creators doomed? What's your take? Man, I, to, uh, so I'll speak specific on this because we are, we are deep in learning in this stuff. So we have, we have anywhere between 10 to 20 copywriters that are writing emails that are writing ads. And I think the, I think the nuances in the changing marketing world is going to take the conductor, like the, the people are still going to be important there, but the speed and the volume in which things can be created will be leveraged from AI, ChatGPT, et cetera. And I think that's not something that we should be scared of, but I think that's something that we should be able to adapt and appreciate because it's going to make the brands, it's going to make the agencies, it's going to make the things a little bit more valuable on the experience and the way you use the tool rather than the person that's writing the copy here and there. Cause look, we have, we have a big company. Um, and I look at the, I look at our people and I'm like, not everyone's being as efficient as they should be. That should be an opportunity for them to kind of leverage it. So my goal, my, my, my true heart of heart answer is I think it's going to make a lot of brand owners, business owners, agency owners question the need to have so many bodies, but only keep the most quality bodies that understand how to leverage the tools. And why not? That's, that's, that's really well said. That's not the answer I was, I you know I was expecting generally that answer, but what you, what you added onto that, that gold right there about from the owner's perspective, I have a pretty massive, you know, writing team as well. Yeah. And, and they, they, they feel really threatened by it, but I've noticed the ones that feel the most threatened are actually not top of the food chain in that writing team. 
And the ones that are, they, they, they embrace it. They're, not, they're giving suggestions on how we could use it to, you know, yield more for testing purposes based on what they created. So uh, I, I really love that. What, what would you, true, like, would you say a true or false to this? Like, do you feel those top of the food chain content creators armed with a, an AI tool, let's just say chat GPT, yeah, uh, yeah. armed with chat GPT will actually be some of the best users of chat GPT versus someone that's like, Oh, here's my chance. Now I could create a lot of blogs. I could use chat GPT. Yeah. That's a great question. I don't even, if I were going to go true or false on this, I would say true. The, the experienced operators will do better because of the inputs. I believe that the quality of inputs and the, the curiosity, those that are more on the curious side of things are going to end up finding more benefit and wins here because those that are thinking like, oh, now is my chance to start are already behind. Because look, when we, we if we're having to write an advertorial, I'm not going to rely on ChatGPT that's going to write a very persuasive sales style tactic that's going to be nuanced. It's going to tap into a lot of the human emotions. I might let them give me my prompts and I let, let them, but it's still going to have to, someone's eyes are going to still have to go through that, right? It's, we're not coming, we're not coming against it with, uh, who, who just announced BuzzFeed or like majority of our writing is going to be AI based. Well, they're, they're also not trying to write persuasive newsletter or ad copy that's trying to sell X thousand dollar products. Well said of the AI tools, cause I keep using chat GPT, um, of all the AI tools, which one has you the most excited? I think this chat GPT is the only one that I've actually spent real time around. I'm, I'm looking at two, two around. We didn't go to Jasper, even though we know the team there, we haven't done any AI ad creations, like using images around this because of, there's, I think there's a time and a place to create products or time and a place to use it as ads. And just haven't really found the the focus or to do that yet. And it might just because might just be because we haven't put the time in to do it yet. But I'm I know we have to. I haven't done it yet though. All right. Uh, a slight pivot. I want to get the I want to get the most out of this episode that I can with you. Um, I'm gonna give you an example. I, I like for I have like I mentioned a bunch of different businesses. One of my businesses is a a brand called Salsa Kings. And we have different locations that teaches salsa bachata and all these different forms of Latin oh, wow. dance to, to adults. If you were starting a product line, say with uh, a salsa dance product line, um, where do you feel right now in 2023 is the easiest place to run ads, paid ads? I would say. And listeners know you were not prepped for this question at all. So this is like raw. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I, I still would say Facebook because it's still adult-based. And although it is a little bit harder to track, which it can be solved with tools and yes, there's costs associated, the audiences are still there. And I had a lot of love and I had a lot of bets and we, we put a lot of resources into the growth of TikTok. And we got, we kind of got some pie on our face in Black Friday, Cyber Monday, because we, if, if I were to look up, and this is broad strokes, because what I'm fed is the dashboards. And then if I need more questions around where our ad spend is going, then I can go and plug that in. Generally speaking around our team, we got 100, 150, 120 brands on all various services. We have that plugged into us. We're still having 60 to 70% of our overall spend on Facebook, regardless of the niche, regardless of the product, regardless of the price point. Then you have more of it coming down to Google, whereas the expansion of shopping, the expansion of display, even a little bit more on the YouTube real side of things. And the small, small makeup is TikTok. When, if you were to ask me this question in 2022, early on, I would have been so lopsided, so hell bent on this, but Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and this whole like final two, three weeks of, of this last year, I lost my faith into it because we had budgets ready we had time, and the conversion rate wasn't there. We had all the resources, we had the landing pages, we had the content, all the processes that need to be built to go around TikTok were not there. The return was not there yet. All the process and investment was. And so I lost a lot of love for this, man. You know, I, I, I would have partially lost that bet to that answer. Like I, I, I knew we were going with Facebook first and, and I obviously agree. I, yeah. I would have, I would have put money that you were going to say TikTok next. And you actually put Google and YouTube ahead of that. That's, Man, that's some pretty powerful stuff there. 
I, I would not have done, trust me, if you, again, if you would have hit me in like, Shaq, what do you think 2022? I would have like, blah, 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 TikTok, Facebook, go. And I was, thank God I didn't do anything or put money on this because I would have lost a lot of money. I appreciate that share. Now that's going to, that's going to mess with my mind over the next few months while I, oh, I try, try to digest that. So thank you, Shaq. <laughs> I'll, tell you the, I'll tell you the crazy thing about TikTok is when we, it's, we, it's, it's content it's content consistency and a little bit of control. And so like the three C's around TikTok, the content process of getting very relevant content because the, the speed at which the trends begin and the speed at which the trends die, it's very fast. And the lifespan, the average lifespan of an ad on TikTok is shorter than it, uh, the average lifespan it is on Facebook for whatever reason. I don't know why. Every time we do a test, the lifespan is a little bit shorter. And so if you are trying to build processes around a thing that just is not going to yield as much peaks to justify all the valleys, you have to reconsider a lot of where this dollars and time is going to go. Heck yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to digest that. I might even send you some, some emails and <laughs> some of the tests that we have coming up now, I might need to reverse course, please. Yeah. Um, you, you have an amazing uh, conference. One, one that I actually got a ticket for, was about to go, had a family emergency when you guys were down here in Miami. Um, I, I feel bad. I didn't know the rebrand geek X. Uh, yeah. I loved geek out. I love geek X too. Um, why, why the rebrand? And can you talk Dude. a little bit about it? Yeah. I, I love geek out. That was my baby. That was my brainchild. I geek X is what ha has to be. So bonehead move. This is something that uh, even as the most veteran entrepreneurs, we didn't trademark this. And so Ooh. in, in this space for geek out specifically, there's a, there's somebody else that has, that owns this in the education and event space. So even if we wanted to spin it in any type of way of, it just didn't make sense. And, and it doesn't geek X doesn't roll off the tongue. I know it doesn't anytime, unless you're FedEx, no one really, I hope, I hope that's my bet, but we're, we, we realized that like in, for the event space itself, you can only do so many things. We, we almost tried to do this in the Amazon space to build an event there, but I realized that there's so much saturation. And you, if, if you don't have a core group that you are, have already been established like yourself, it's really hard to get new people in on that, that area unless you're pulling in other creators. So with GeekX, is, the point is that to build more experiences. So we have like a lead gen. We, want, we know we need to go into that space. There's a lot of content that hasn't been shot there. E-com, e, uh, e of course, and then starting to do my, more minorities supported events is something that's been really heavy on my mind. That's, that's amazing. And by minority support, what, what do yeah. you do? So, so for the, for, we'll do our second one this year, which is a female founder group. So it's only women that are executives in the C-suite or building and growing companies. And I think that's important because we, we know in our industry, like it, I'll just call it as it is. It's very white male dominated, dominated people that like this content, people that go to conferences, people that are sharing or contributing or speaking. It's there's a, there's a makeup. There's a, a group of us that are always very similar speaking on behalf of myself and as well as the African-American and the Latino communities. Like there's, there's just this community that if I'm going to be the one or very few of, and someone that's, that has been in the space for eight, nine years running events, you can just see it. Like they, they end up grouping together. They, even if they're extremely outgoing and want to build a relationship, there's still this ability to feel like I wear the rest of others that are similar to myself. Well said. What, uh, when's the next GeekX Miami? Is that able to be shared? Do you have that on the map already? This year, we're not doing a GeekX Miami primarily because we are doing fewer events and we are doing uh, Australia. So we're doing it. We're making a big bet in Australia. All right. If you, uh, I think my, my space might be too small, but if you ever need a space for meetings down here, I have some stuff you can get, obviously no charge. I cannot wait. So Thank you. Re reach out. Um, final, final major question for somebody listening to this, somebody as experienced in events uh, as you are and, and just the overall experience you have in the space. What are your top three events period in the, let's say e-com marketing space? Yeah. Um, so you have a smart marketer live, which is Ezra Firestone's group. Um, quality, quality, that's very, that's a, a bigger commitment because it is a, I believe it's a quarterly or yearly play, but it's proven, proven vetted decom people. So you're not going to feel any type of way. And it's Ezra, Ezra has been in the space longer than most of us. Um, then you have uh, ECF live. So e-commerce fuel live, which is another 
heavy e-com group, heavy, heavy team. That's all merchants. And then the final one, I would say it's kind of a toss up. Um, and I, and I, those two for, I think the community, the, the tight, tight knitness, and I'll go kind of in a different direction, but then you have like the shop talks where it's a larger experience. It is the vendor, like you have vendors, you have a lot of the bigger brands. And I think that's going to be a completely different approach than the traditional events where you're going to go and feel, I'm going to have intimate or real type conversations with people. This is, you're definitely going to get there and be like, okay, I have to kind of step outside my box and go meet and uh, connect with people. It's just a little bit larger than I want to anticipate, but it, it's something worth seeing if you want to know how like a major mainstream event would look like. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Otherwise I would sure. just never end asking you questions. The question I like to ask everyone who is on the show um, is what is their favorite book and why? Yeah. So we, I have been on a, a pretty decent reading spree. And so this one is a new one it's called talk like Ted. Um, and it's, so I, I truly love giving presentations and building. I'm literally building one right now for Dubai and it's, it's killing me. Like I have, I have presentation block or writer's block, whatever you want to call it. But it, if you've ever consumed any Ted talks, there's a formula for, it, and they have like Ted commandments. It's called the Ted, not 10 commandments, Ted commandments. And one of the core ones is it has to be underneath 20 minutes for, and, and which ties into a saying that I've been doing for years. If you, if you ask me to speak for an hour, I'm ready today. If you want me to speak for 10 minutes, I need a month. And that's, and that's very real. So when you, oh, try yeah. to, when you try to formulate and structure a 20 minute talk where you want there to be a story and education and a piece of content that they can take away that moves them into either feel some type of way or to take action or to reflect that you want that called action on it. And for someone that's AI audit and review over hundred talks a year, I've already given over hundred talks in my career. This, I wish I had this at the beginning because now it allows me to understand the framework, how to be concise and how to weave a real story into how things go with good hooks. And there's nothing more important than giving, I think, I think it's a contrary to say, or a lot of people believe those who can't do teach, but I believe those that who are consistently doing need to teach because I know as a, as a goalkeeping coach, when I was coaching children, that I felt my technique and my skills were better. The more I sat there and analyzed someone who didn't know how to do the thing that I was wanting them to do. But I was like, oh, if I explained it this way, which made my frame of conversation or frame of understanding shift to, it just gets this muscle, man. And people are terrified of it. That is the gospel, man. That was really, really good. What, uh, what, what's a best way I, I'm assuming LinkedIn, but what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you if they want to, you know, ask a clarifying question on this show or, or perhaps work with your agency? I think you, I think you nailed it. I think LinkedIn, I'm very consistent on Twitter. I'm extremely consistent on Instagram. Um, I share a lot of my, my tattoo personal journey as, as I've been doing a lot recently. Always active on Twitter or is this a recent? No, always active on Twitter. We, this has been a huge investment since last year and LinkedIn's probably the newest one. All right. Thank you so, so much for your time. Uh, this is one of the more enjoyable episodes I've ever recorded on the podcast. I can't thank you enough. Keep crushing it. Keep being you. And I hope everybody enjoys it.